If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, oh my goodness, it's another day for This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. So get your iPhone, get it hooked up to the Bluetooth thing that plays it through the kitchen, because we're here. Or your car, whatever it might be. Also, please, reminder to check out the various podcasts at drdrew.com. Me and Corolla, me and uh, Spaz, Dr. Spaz there, Bruce Heisrober. And um, also, don't forget about Heal. Man, you can uh, get a doctor at your house within two hours there. We're carefully selecting each of these people. They're all board certified. Some of them are double board certified. Really good for pediatric stuff as well as uh, any other medical issues. But let me get right to our guest, who I'm really happy to have today. is Dr. Terry Dubrow, plastic surgeon. You know him from Botched. He's married to Heather Dubrow, who is, of course, in the Real Housewives of Orange County. And Terry's done a bunch of other television shows. We'll get into that. But Terry, welcome. Ah, how are you? Good. Good. So good. Bob Hello. Forrest is here, and I'm uh, here. Mu- much to my Hi, Bob. Su- Howdy. Uh, and Terry, a uh, couple things I want to sort of highlight. One is you just finished operating on uh, Bob and my former patient, uh, Tony Katane. Yes, I did. You're right. Today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll hear about that in a second. The other thing, this is what I wanted to get right to. Your brother was Kevin DeBro, right? And he was the That's right. lead singer, center, lead singer for Quiet Riot. Uh, so many years ago, well, you and I were probably in the Starwood together. That's what I'm thinking, Terry. Because Bob knew knew uh, Kevin well, apparently. I knew Randy. Well. You're. I knew Randy. Isn't that weird. I knew Randy, the guitar player. They had he that, Randy that played with Ozzy, then died in the plane crash. Yeah, he was in the band with. Terry's brother. Wow. They used to play the Starwood in like 78, 79, when I was 17, 18. It was wow. the most exciting time in the world. And Terry, were you there then? I was. I remember the night, believe it or not, that this is before Quiet Riot got a record contract when Kevin and Quiet Riot were playing with Randy. And that's what Randy was in guitars. that band. And, and I remember the night that Ozzy actually came into the Starwood, was watching Quiet Riot. And went down backstage to talk to Randy, and Kevin had sort of this puzzled look on his face. And then within three days, Randy had left Quiet Riot to join Ozzy, and it turned my brother's world upside down. Yeah, and I don't think he ever really got over that hurt, do you? Um, On On a certain level, on a certain level. I, I agree. I agree with you completely. He was devastated. He thought it was the end of Quiet Riot. And 
uh, it looked like it could be the end of Quiet Riot because although they were super popular in Hollywood, they couldn't get a record contract. They just couldn't get that going. They and were then, awesome. Really? Yeah. And so yeah. It's a, this and is five years you know, before. Randy died. Yeah. Yeah. But this is five years before the big haircut. You know, we're talking about 78, 79 is what I remember because I was still in high school. Right? When, when did right. Quiet Riot start? In like 70, 78? Uh, Kevin came up with Quiet Riot, I would say, 73, oh, okay. believe it or not, oh, 74. Okay. Yeah, they were the... They and, were... Yeah, and he cut a record, you know, sort of a pseudo-demo record with Randy um, that was released in Japan, and they became gigantic locally but they just couldn't get a record contract, even though the fans were picketing outside of the Starwood and the Roxy. And then when it just seemed like maybe something would happen, Randy left, joined Ozzy, and, you know, he did some amazing work with Ozzy. And, uh, I'm and a so confused. I was a little kid. Where were you growing up, Terry? The Valley. Van Nuys. Right? Van Nuys, that's right. right. All right. And you knew him? You... Yeah, I just knew Kevin in awe of Kevin, like, I'm this little kid and he's this rock star. It was the most exciting time in Hollywood, from like 78 to like 83. Your was band the most... was, was Mine started in 83. That's yeah. when it got boring. <laughs> but but you liked all kinds of bands. You yeah. would go see Quiet Riot. You'd go see... X, you'd go see, and they were all playing all these different clubs all over LA, all different genres of music, and it was just the most exciting time. And I remember that Starwood had a the manager of it was named David Forrest. He was this guy who ran it, right? Everybody thought I was his nephew, <laughs> so I got in for free and I could go backstage oh and whatever. God. Yeah, and it was it was the funnest time in my life, and that's where I met Randy. Was a little younger than your brother, and he kind yeah. of he. It was more like my age, and you could befriend somebody just because you were in the backstage area. And I was just so in awe. And, and Terry, Kevin had, I mean, Bob had some interesting insights into Kevin. I don't think your brother was a drug addict. Do you? No. You no. see, I told you. Weird, weird. I was around the guy for 20 years. He's not an addict per se. But you can die of drugs. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That's but what I've been trying. If Terry, doctors give been, them to you. <laughs> I've been trying to say this for decades, and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. Non-addicts die at at a higher rate, I think, than real addicts because they're binging. They're going. I remember your brother was thought to be sober for many years, right? Um, yeah, he he never really had an enormous problem. I mean, in the eighties, when he was really doing well with Quiet Riot, he was heavy into coke, but he was never close to having a major problem. Never. But he wouldn't go to going to rehab. He, yeah, he didn't go to rehab. What? He didn't go the typical rock using. and roll. He would just stop using yeah. and get into health food and bullshit yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then so so then when I heard the tragedy, I was just like, "What the fuck? How are people? You know what I mean? What what did did he get a prescription or something? Terry was it the early days no. of that? No, Coke. No, my brother. Coke. My brother was very anti a lot of drugs, but he liked the occasional cocaine and even into his, well, he, you know, he, he wouldn't smoke pot. He wouldn't smoke anything. He was a sort of a health food nut. He worked out every single day and he liked a little Coke occasionally. He really was able to, if it's possible to control that kind of thing. And 
he, in his 50s, um, he would occasionally do coke when he'd come back from tour and he'd had something to celebrate. He was about to have Thanksgiving dinner with Glenn Hughes, one of his best friends Singer from Deep, Deep Purple. Purple. Do you know who that is? Deep Purple. Oh, yeah. yes, I do. Yeah, and so he, I mean, I spoke to the coroner, you know, after the toxicology came back and the analysis of the brain, and he just had a little of everything. He had a little little Ambien, he had a little Coke, he had a little bit of alcohol, but he had, he had enough polypharmacy that he basically had a sudden cardiac arrest, even though he had clean coronary arteries and wow. very little of any one particular Crazy, agent. Right. So, well, that, that, I mean, that's the Coke doctor. Coke-ethylene, the, yeah, co- the Coke-alcohol combo is known it, to cause arrhythmi- arrhythmias. Yeah? Exactly. And Dr. Drew will tell you about, you know, the bridging vein phenomenon when you get past a certain age that a little bit of, you know, left ventricular hypertrophy and cocaine doesn't yeah. allow the filling of the left ventricle and that can cause an arrhythmia and sudden death at very low doses. So my brother, and by the way, I agree with you. I think there is more drug-related deaths in non-addicts and that's simply because there are more a lot more non-addicts using drugs than there are more addicts so you're going to get a lot more because the denominator is a lot greater that and the the combo of the benzo opiate uh, that doctors prescribe so liberally has been the thing we see all the time that just people just stop breathing and they have no idea they're taking a dose that's an overdose combination right i mean my brother's autopsy was Perfect. I mean, absolutely clean. No disease, no, no oh, plaque, so l- no cholesterol. So Guy sorry. was amazingly healthy. Ugh. So sorry you had to go through that. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Oof. And so, well, his music lives on, I'll tell you that. You know, that's the one yeah. thing about musicians that a friend of mine said years ago. He's like, even after we're dead, there's going to be songs that we wrote that people's one kid's going to be listening to in one bedroom somewhere. And it really is a, an amazing thing that we forget about in this technological wonderland that we live in, that people create ideas and songs and chords and music and record it, and it's there forever. That You, you know what I mean? That, just, Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, it's interesting. He, you know, Quiet Ride has been struggling along for many years, obviously, without their lead voice. And they just hired James Corden, the guy who was um, like fourth runner up oh for American gosh. Idol. Who, They're all doing that. The queen, the queen singer is from American Idol now. Did you know that? They get the yeah, American I Idol know. guys singing in bands. That's so crazy to me. Anyways, yeah. when I, I have yeah. a rule when a singer dies, that's the end of the band. That yeah. should be the end of the band. Uh, that's your rule. That's my warrant rule. My <laughs> Bob uh, and rule. I was and I wanted it to be for the Thelonious Monster rule. <laughs> you didn't die. <laughs> I didn't die. <laughs> but but bands can go on without guitar players or bass players or drummers. Yeah. But they should not go on without the singers. And it's well. It's, what about Journey? I I I think that I think here. How about this? The real singer of Journey is Greg Raleigh, the keyboard player. He sang on the first three albums that I love. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's weird that Steve Perry thought of to be the singer of Journey, and now he's replaced by this other guy. But I know that you grew up in that rock and roll world. What made you become a doctor? You were around your brother the whole time. That was the funnest. It's, Why didn't you want to be a record company executive? That's what everybody <laughs> wanted to be. My brother, although we have a very similar face, we couldn't be more different. My brother and I grew up 
in a little house in the San Fernando Valley in Van Nuys, and we shared a bedroom. He was three years older than me, and I had he allowed me to have sort of you know ten a hundred square feet of the place of the room. Everything else in the room was his, including a a large drum set. He was a great drummer and Jimi Hendrix posters. And I had a little desk and I was just very into science, math and sports. And he was very into being Kevin Dubrow. And <laughs> at like, um, 14, at like 14. I, I'm also understanding 16. now why Terry needs space in his home. Lebenstrom, <laughs> 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 like, as, as Mr. Hitler would say, Lebenstrom. <laughs> <laughs> is it going exactly back to right. that, Terry? You need your own space. Hell you yeah, need your own is. office, your own room. Of course. Right? Well, Drew, Drew, tell you, I, I kind of, we built kind of a big home here in, in Orange County, but yeah, you know, it's just, we were completely different and he was very intense, but we were both super intense, just in different ways. And, uh, you know, my brother was a true, you know, a true genius IQ wise. And the big mistake that was made with him is when he tested in, I think ninth grade, they said he had a through the roof IQ and he dropped out of high school in I think go. 11th grade. That's he, bipolar he just disorder. Wouldn't, he, that's bipolar. Yeah. Right there. Was, he, was he bipolar? Yeah. You think? I would no. think. No. <laughs> was it? Um, I, I think he was just manic, don't you? Oh, well. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's, uh, we, no depression? <laughs> yeah. That, it, it's, uh, how, <laughs> however you might you conceive of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. One, I, I, bipolar one, 1, bipolar 2, you, you don't have to have your, had your depression to get diagnosed. But get, get up, okay. getting on yeah. your way. You know what? You, here's how Drew can know because he didn't know your brother, but I did. Kevin DeBro was like the archetype for David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth is like a chameleon. Yeah. He like copies people. Yeah. Right? So everything that Van Halen kind of was, it, it always reminded well, me of funny. like he's copying Kevin DeBro. That, that's sort of where my head is with it too. I have a faint I don't have a They're strong memory like you do. They're very similar in yeah. personality. Yeah. And how they present like, yeah, man, we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if Ke- you know what's interesting? It's funny you should say that because when I was a – third-year medical student at UCLA, my brother had bought an enormous house in Hancock Park, and he allowed me to live in the room above the pool house. Did you have your little just desk there? You still have your little desk? <laughs> yeah, just as long as I took care of his cat, Larry. Oh, and so go. I'll never forget, I have vivid memories of him coming home from tour, and this is like in 83, selling out every stadium he went for that year he went to and him coming home and screaming at four o'clock in the morning, Terry, where's my cat? Where's my effing cat? And I come down and show him that I have the cat to justify living there rent free for that year. And he would be hanging out with David Lee Roth and David Coverdale before white snake, right before white snake, which is interesting because I had that connection to Tawny contain that I think we're probably going to talk about. It came on bots this season. So white snake, David Coverdale was, she's was, the one was riding the on, uh, on the car hood. That's, that's right. That's uh, the white snake song. Yeah. Forever. Crazy. Right. Better and than all married. of our minds. Married? And, and were they married? Tawny Katane Tawny was married to David Coverdale. I, well, did, that, I didn't know that all, either. Let's face it. All that's in our minds is writhing on that <laughs> jaguar hood. There are certain things about right. metal that I just love. Like, I've loved metal since I was 11 years old. So when you talk about Deep Purple, and David Coverdale was the singer of Deep Purple for a while also. And, yeah. and Van Halen. See, I never... 
just because I went punk rock doesn't mean I gave up Led Zeppelin, is what I always say. And there's certain things about metal that are just so powerful. I saw Quiet Riot open for Angel at at the Santa Monica Civic one time, and they were just mind-blowingly great. All black and white stripes and just the image of it all. Were you at that Angel Santa Monica Civic show? I I wasn't at that one, but I was at all of the others. I yeah. mean, my brother is probably probably contributes to my high frequency hearing loss. <laughs> you so, know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put in those earplugs. But you know, he was pretty good friends with David Lee Roth. There was sort of a little bit of a jealousy because you know David Lee Roth was, he was huge. He's clear. His talent was pretty clear at the time. You know, he was huge. His father, David's uh, father, was an ophthalmologist here yeah. in San Gabriel Valley. My dad worked with him. I knew him when I was a ward clerk at the hospital down at San Gabriel Valley Medical Center. How about that? No kidding. Yeah, Dr. Dad, Roth. What a small world, oh, right? Well, L.A. is yeah. a small town. It used yeah. to be. There's only like 900,000 of us born here. You know what I mean? So I just always think there's an interconnectivity amongst L.A. And that's when I saw, you know, I loved the Swan TV show that you were associated with. So we get this prep stuff, and I was like, no, that's a guy. I called it Ugly Duckling. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, you but, said but, but, but that was the greatest show ever. And that was, what, uh, that was produced by Howard... Uh... Nelly Galan produced Nelly that. Nelly Galan and Fremantle, who did American Idol. But I just thought it was the craziest thing ever, and I I love I love television in general. But that, and so then when I saw you did that, I was like, oh my gosh! And then I saw Kevin. You're oh my god! I know his brother. Oh my god! Yeah, I think my, well, ultimately one day my legacy will be that I did the two. This is not including Botch because Botch is great, but the two worst reality shows of all time. Number one being The Swan. <laughs> And number two, number two being Bridalplasty, which just came and went in one season. But it was a show on E! about operating on brides, women who were engaged. And then the winner would get a full makeover transformational plastic surgery procedure done on them. And their fiancé would not be able to see them till the actual wedding day until the veil was lifted. be a different person and, as you're married. And why are these the worst? They sound, they sound good. See... Because they, America is well, dirty little secret is they don't want to admit to this. Uh, That's it. Well, I want to hear Terry's judge, version. Why? Why is it the worst? Why was it? Well, I think the message behind the Swan was you're not you're an ugly duckling. You're not good enough unless you have uh, eighteen hours of plastic surgery on your it. entire body. Oh. And, and the, the the message in bridal plasty was it's not enough to be in love and be engaged and be ready to start your family before you actually get married. You have to have plastic surgery. And if you win, if you lose, it was a competition show. So if you lost, <laughs> it said, I think the, the, the catchphrase was, you will still get, you will still be married. You just won't be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see what you mean that's now. A good, that's a good twist. <laughs> oh no, but can I give my take on plastic surgery? I don't, I, I'm yeah. pro plastic surgery. One of my friends is a plastic surgeon here in Pasadena. A mutual Ooh. friend. Ooh. Warren. Right, that you introduced me to. Oh, he's not yeah. a plastic surgeon; he's an ophthalmologist. No, but they do he does that. eyes. Yeah, he does eyes. Eyes there. Yeah. Eyes there, and they have the. I'm sitting there sometimes, and they have the different eyes you can pick out. I just yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah, it's a comment on how superficial and disgusting American society is, to me. 
right? So I don't mind that people want to look better because we're judged by what we look like in this society. It's a quantifiable fact based on whether you get a job, whether you get opportunity in life. It shouldn't be that way, but it is, so it's okay. There's, you, you understand, there's, I get, a, I there's a criticism of it. Yeah. Let's be honest. There's a pink elephant in the room that there's a criticism of it. If we had a society that was based on fairness and intelligence and 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 quality and and qualification, I would say, yeah, it's dumb then to want your boobs done. It doesn't register in any other way. Or getting Botox to make you look ten years younger. It doesn't. That's just vanity. Right. No, it's survival in our society. Terry, on a certain level. Sure. Uh, I absolutely don't disagree with that. I think you know it depends if you look at. Plastic surgery is sort of a Venn diagram of people who get it in those circles and where they overlap. And there's people who do it for the right reasons, people who do it for the wrong reasons, and then people who do it because they're crazy or they're unrealistic or they actually have a deformity. It, it really depends on what sort of section of plastic surgery you're in. I mean, what we as plastic surgeons try to, to emphasize that you know, if you have something that's bothering you and you have a realistic set of goals and expectations and it's safe and it's not a major overhaul and it's something that will make you feel better, that it's a good thing to do much like diet and exercise or behavior modification or anything else you're trying to work on. But if you're doing it for the other reasons, like you want, you hate yourself and you think this is the solution to a better life or you think your husband now is going to love you more or you're trying to fix things that don't need to be fixed, and it's a disaster. So it's, it's like any other field of improvement where if you do it properly, it can be very helpful, but there's a lot of damage that can be done. And obviously, that's what Botch does. It highlights the damage. plastic surgery that's, that's gone very badly. And people, you know, we have several different types of patients on botch, one of which is the, the person who comes in, they've had 15 different operations, they keep going further and further down the body modification, crazy road of body dysmorphia, and we turn those people down. And then there's those who had just an unfortunate complication from a reasonably done procedure by a good good surgeon, and it turned into a disaster. And those are the ones we love. And then there's Others who actually have body dysmorphia and have gone too far, but now actually have a disabling, crippling cosmetic disaster, we have to try to help those people. And it's funny because I've actually sort of, you know, Drew and I have had dinner and discussed this. This, to me, is a very interesting field of plastic surgery where you have sort of a patient who isn't a good psychological candidate for plastic surgery come to you, but they are disabled they have a crippling deformity and you're not going to leave them in society like that. So now you're kind of forced into trying to help a person with plastic surgery who's a terrible psychological and emotional candidate for plastic surgery. It's a very challenging but aspect of most, plastic for surgery. The, for the most part, I'm just judging by – I'm 56 and I have a lot of women friends that are, that are in their late 40s to late 50s, right? And a, almost a, a large portion of them have done something. It's, really it's, it's mostly 
motivated by there's an unfair advantage for a 56-year-old man. I'm still thought of to be employable mm. and valuable. And and as my girlfriends have aged, they're thought to be like, I don't know. Okay, so hold on. So there, I, I believe that's what drives a lot of it. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we get back, I'll get Terry's comment on uh, that specific issue. Also, a reminder, uh, Terry and his wife's podcast, Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig, right? Where can we get that? Yeah. You can get that on Podcast One. Okay. There you go. Look Norm, for that. Norm Pattis. Yeah, we'll take a break. <laughs> Be right back. We are proud to welcome a great new sponsor, Integrity Care Card. This is a service that was started by a recovering addict who actually was a patient of Bob's at one time. Integrity Care Card. It's a refillable debit card that lets you provide financial support to someone you love without the risk of misuse. It's a great idea. That's how it works. Simply sign up. You deposit the funds onto the card, share it through your Integrity Care card account. You can keep track of the spending habits and receive real-time spending alerts and block purchases from places like liquor stores, casinos, ATMs. People in recovery often need help making responsible choices with their money. So the Integrity Care card is a fantastic way to offer support without denying them the independence they deserve. It's a great parenting technique. Come on now. It's better than cash. Better than gift cards, this is a true debit card that can make a real difference in someone's life. I love this idea. So if you or someone you know is supporting a loved one in recovery or trying to structure your financial relationship with, uh, say, a child or something, check out Integrity Care Card. Visit IntegrityCareCard.us. Click the banner on Doctor.com or call 888-216-4680, 888-216-4680, or integritycarecard.us. This is a great idea. A couple months ago, I introduced you to RefillWise. It's a prescription saving card you can get right now on your phone for free. And I was thrilled to hear many of you did so. You signed up and that some of you have saved as much as $150 at every pharmacy visit. We heard these stories and we appreciate them. Now, if you already have your RefillWise card on your phone, remember you can't save unless you use it. You've got to use the card on your phone. Just open the message, show it to your pharmacist next time you get a prescription filled. It is as easy as that. Just say, what can you do with this? Because it you know, they'll give you. They'll decide for you what's the least expensive alternative. If you haven't done it yet, grab your phone and text Drew to the number two two eight two two. Immediately, your refill wise card will be sent to your screen. It's really fast. Just that's the word Drew D R W to a number two two eight two two. And if you have an insurance, you might actually save more with the refill wise card. And if you don't need the card today, chances are you know someone who's struggling with a high cost of medication. Aren't we all now? Help them out by telling them about the refill wise card. We appreciate that. Also excited to say that for every refill wise user, every new user, they will donate a dollar to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. That is a charity that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I, I want you to learn more about RefillWise. You can see if your medication could be covered. Just visit RefillWise.com. Let's go ahead. Just, let's do it now. Start saving right now. Text Drew. That is Drew to the number 22822. Message and data rates may apply. RefillWise. All right, we're back. And before uh, the break, back. Terry was talking, or you were talking to Terry about the idea of women and aging. Terry, you must have some thoughts on that. Um, I do. I think that is a little bit of a, an area of plastic surgery that was more common sort of 10 or 15 years ago. Women were aging. They felt like um, they were being judged more by their looks than men were. But now, you know, uh, with all due respect, I think plastic surgery has become – 
gym tan laundry plastic surgery. It's just something people do <laughs> at various stages of their life. The, let, me, let me clarify that. <laughs> the, the regularization of it. You know what gym tan laundry yeah, is, right? Yeah. From the New Jersey Shore. Yeah. So now plastic surgery on top of that. Well, it should be gym tan laundry steroids plastic surgery because those guys certainly <laughs> run the steroids too. <laughs> so It's, a, it's crazy. Uh, but, but, I mean, I just think at least on the coast, and in the, the mar, large metropolitan areas, plastic surgery is so routine and so common that I always talk, I always think to myself when we talk about the evolution of admission of plastic surgery, where in the 70s, if you had a procedure, you would never talk about it. Right. In the 80s, you would, you would admit to maybe some, nose a little job. bit nose of, of yeah. something. A little nose job. Then in the 90s, a breast augmentation became okay to admit to, but not liposuction. Then in the 2000s, it's okay to admit to having your breasts and some liposuction. But And now it's okay to admit to everything except butt augmentation. People <laughs> will still not admit to that. that to, making the, to making the butts bigger, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 See, that's yeah, a, I, some... I grew up in that era. That's just not the right thing. Well, a lot of people are into it. A lot of people are into it. Terry does those all day long, I'm sure. <laughs> what is? I what do. Is, I do. So what are the, when they so come I into think, you, Terry, I, I got to know. When they come in, do they have like pictures from Us Magazine of like Kim Kardashian's butt? Or what do they they want it to look like that? Because friends of mine have gotten nose jobs and, and they go in, they have pictures of something more like Scandinavian looking or something, right? Do they come in with butt, right. butt pictures of like, I'd like it to be more like this? The interesting thing about that, and that's a very good point, is that they still do come in with pictures uh, regarding breasts and noses and faces, but what they, that they want, but what they all tell you when they're coming in for a butt augmentation is they don't want Kim Kardashian. Ooh. So it's, it's the, affirmative negative, meaning I want this done, but I absolutely don't want it to look like Kim Kardashian's butt. So what they're doing, they're telling you at the extreme, don't do that. Just make it look better. So, here's tighter, so tighter and move no, up give it, more. Give it Kim Kardashian circa 2015. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give, give me the previous Kim Kardashian before it got out of control. There's not a Cameron Diaz right. one? Give me Cameron Diaz, Angels, so. Charlie. What, what, what are you doing now to do augmentations of breast and butt? What, what's that take the, Okay, so take the fat and put it breast in there, right? Go ahead. Yeah, breast breast augmentation is still ninety eight percent of it is breast are breast implants, and that is the number one plastic surgery procedure by far in the United States. About four hundred thousand of them are done a year, and about eight hundred thousand breast surgeries are done a year because four hundred thousand primary ones are done, and then four hundred additional four hundred thousand are done for additional. Do we have Do we have any surgery. numbers on Orange County? I'm a Los Angeles born and raised, and now I live part time in Laguna. And I'm saying there is a much larger percentage of breast augmentation in Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, well, Corona sure Del Mar than anywhere else I'm on sure the planet. Where people have to wear bathing suits. It's sort of oh, okay, thing. But, that's it. But yeah. also, I, I almost, I, I'd love to see divorce data after breast augmentation. I, I, in, in the particularly in the in hinterland of the valley, my friends have a thing. As soon as a woman gets a breast augmentation, the clock's ticking within two years as a divorce. It's like it's like, it's like she's staging <laughs> for the, the divorce. Way. Go ahead, Terry. By the way, that is so incredibly accurate. I can't even tell you. A woman will come in yeah. 
at age 38 yeah. and we'll take a medical history. So oh, how long have you been married? I've been married for 10 years. What's changed? Nothing. I just want my breast done. You know, she's going to get divorced. Yes. Yeah. She's planning yes. on it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a staging. It's a staging for divorce. So if it's at an earlier stage, cause we want to give married men hope. If, if it's <laughs> at year one or year two, it's just to enhance the marriage. But at 10 years or more, it's no. to leave Un- the marriage. Unmarried. No, no. Oh no, my God! Unmarried is to enhance the yeah yeah. Oh, by, by the way, in terms of blood augmentation, though, ninety eight percent of that is done with fat. Yeah, yeah. that's and what you I figured. take fat. You, you you do liposuction. You process the fat. You inject it into each buttock cheek, and then about two percent of it, or maybe it's probably now this year, it's probably a little higher. Five percent of it's done with butt implants. Butt implants are not very safe, uh, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. They move around a lot. We highlight Yikes. that a lot on this season of Botched. They're a problem. Yikes. How come if you can do the fat implants on the butt, you don't do that on the breast? You because there's so the reason it doesn't seem to work is is what's that? Go ahead, Terry. Finish the reason. Oh, the the reason it doesn't seem to work that well in the buttock area is because you know you don't sit on your chest all day long, but you sit obviously on your butt, and the implant body interface. In terms of the immune system, the way it heals and the way it stabilizes, doesn't really tolerate your body weight pressure on it all day long for the next five years. So we think it has a lot to do with that. So what about sculpting? So don't you sculpt the butt? Don't you like That's sculpt? liposuction. Well, no, what, they don't cut and sculpt? I, I, Terry, well, do you cut and sculpt the butt to make it higher up? That's what I heard from a gal pal of mine. That it, okay. If you, you want could, to raise you your could, butt up. Okay, there is a procedure called a butt buttock lift where you make an incision all the way along the lower portion of the back between the back and buttock interface and you lift the buttock up. But that's what I use as a salvage procedure primarily when someone has had a butt implant go badly and then it comes out it's expanded the buttock skin made the buttock skin very lax and now the only thing you can do to make that look better is a buttock lift but that we pretty much reserve for those reconstructive situations a butt implant's gone bad or in someone who's lost a massive amount of weight and they just have so much loose skin in their butt you have to lift it wow 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 let me let me get to a, a couple interview points here uh, one is the the body dysmorphia thing you mentioned a few minutes ago. I don't think Bob nor I have any problem with you operating on people with body dysmorphia if that's what they want, so long as then they get treatment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like you said, they they shouldn't be burdened with whatever they've done to themselves with surgeries. But you got to figure out a way to motivate them to get some care for that body dysmorphia. Do you have trouble doing that? Are they they resistant? Um, they 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 sort of play yes, you know. Yeah, they yeah. say, Oh, sure, yes, yeah, right, yes, right. yes. Is there a quality of care component to it? Meaning, I know that a a pain spine surgeon can't tell a patient that they're going to have pain relief from the surgery. There's a law against it. Is there a way that there's some sort of component that you've identified body dysmorphia in this client and then they have to receive some sort of at least a screening you, you can't force people to get treatment so but you go can't ahead. you can't no. You, no. You, well 
So you could say well, what I, uh, you could put you could expose yourself to liability by. Oh, okay. They're by, not going to do that. <laughs> well, no, by by operating on somebody with body dysmorphia, and then later they come around and say, "I was just psychiatrically ill, and you operated on me." That's your liability. But there's ways to protect against that. Why do they have the pain yeah, thing? They, Why do they have the pain thing in there? Go ahead, but, Terry. The best. The best. The, the thing is, when somebody comes in with clear cut body dysmorphia, and you can tell. Because they have, you know, the, the classic obvious thing is they're overly concerned about a, a problem that isn't that significant, or they're overly detailed about the result, and they've never had surgery. If they raise red flags, I actually say to them, do you think you might be suffering from something called body dysmorphia? And what's so interesting is a lot of them will say, oh, yeah, I have body dysmorphia. And I say, well, guess what? I'm not going to operate on you with body dysmorphia unless you get clearance from a psychiatrist or psychologist. So there you go. That's how you now, but that's what you do. If, if somebody is under psychiatric care for body dysmorphia, you say, I need a clearance yeah. for that. Yeah. And then, but, but the, again, the challenge on Bosch is if someone has body dysmorphia and they're having a tough time, even if they're currently being treated for it, but they have, they can't go outside because the surgery they've had has left them crippled. Yeah. You have to take them on because, I mean, they just can't go on with their life. So here you are, yeah, I agree. you know, it's like combat plastic surgery. You're operating on the worst candidate, but you have to. Yeah. So talk to people a little bit. First, tell us about the volume of procedures that you do and why that's important. And then secondly, what the training is for a plastic surgeon, how you differentiate between a plastic surgeon and a, quote, cosmetic surgeon. So I, I'm in a, a little bit of a different situation because I've been on all these television shows uh, and currently on Botch, which we've, the, the season we're on is actually season five because we've done four seasons of Botch and a season of Botch by Nature, which is on in 118 countries. I have been identified as someone who can help people who have problematic plastic surgery. And the reality is plastic surgery goes badly very often. It is way more than a 5% complication rate. So if you talk worldwide, there's hundreds and thousands of people walking around with bad plastic surgery. And I have the type of practice now, because I've been identified as someone who can help people with those problems, uh, that that gives me a volume where for a while I was operating seven days a week, 12 hours a day, which wasn't very good for my family. I have little children, so I cut it back to six days a week, 12 hours a day. <laughs> and what's, and Drew will tell you like in, like in sports or in giving in acting or anything else, the more you do something, the better you are at it. It's particularly true in surgery. And if you look at a cardiac surgeon statistics, the best ones have the highest volume and same as in plastic surgery. So I, I'm fortunate that I've been able to do an unlimited amount of plastic surgery, which gives me a specialized experience to really help people. And it's unbelievably. So the busiest plastic surgeons are the best plastic surgeons by far, not because they're necessarily innately so skilled. They just have the best experience. And surgery is all about experience. That whole 10,000 hours thing where we have hundreds, I have hundreds of thousands of hours. So that's number one. Number two, plastic surgery is a field where the training is very long and very extensive. In, in my day, my era, you had to go to four years of medical school. You had to be fully trained in general surgery. I did six years of general surgery where I was chief resident general surgery, doing everything from gunshot wounds to pancreas surgery to you know trauma, opening up chests 
and sewing up the heart with a stab wound in it to then going the very next day after graduating general surgery to UCLA's plastic surgery program where I spent several years doing that and I was chief resident in plastic surgery. So plastic surgeons, like cardiac surgeons, are among the most trained and some would say overtrained medical specialists there are. So the diff- that's what we call the classic board-certified plastic surgeon, certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Now, because of a loophole, and Drew, you can talk a lot more about this than I can, but because of a sort of a loophole at American Medicine, any doctor who graduates medical school and takes the national board exam is given a physician and surgeon's license. And that qualifies him legally to do any sort of field of medicine, just as long as he can find a place to do it, he's legally allowed to do it. So, for example, a cosm- a, um, OBGYN can graduate an OBGYN program and then take a weekend course in breast augmentation surgery and legally do breast surgery the very next day if he can find a hospital that will let him. Now, a hospital won't let you do plastic surgery unless you're truly board certified in plastic surgery, but you can build your own surgery center, call yourself a cosmetic surgeon, and do everything that a board certified plastic surgeon can do legally. That doesn't mean you're trained to do it, but you can legally do it. And what's interesting is as much as 50% of the cosmetic surgery done in this country uh, is done by non-board-certified cosmetic that. surgeons with that. no specific training in plastic so can surgery. I, can but I hold on. Wait, some, this is not over yet. Some on. important questions Wait, about for, it. First, we've got to finish the flush out the whole story. Now, Paul Nassif is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, right? Otolaryngologist. Right. Now, he is... He did a fellowship in facial plastic surgery. Okay, so hold on. Because because that's a whole other zone of very well-qualified people that aren't really board-certified plastic surgeons. That's a hard group for people to kind of ferret out, to find those guys. So tell tell us about that group first. Bob, Bob. Okay. Please tell us about Uh, that. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because – there is the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery where these guys do ear, nose, and throat training and then go on to do a fellowship in facial plastic surgery and get board certification in facial plastic surgery. And they are certified and extraordinarily well-trained and talented in operating in the head and neck area right. in terms of cosmetic surgery. They are true plastic surgeons of the head and neck area. Even though they're board not... Certified plastic- even though they're not board-certified plastic surgeon per se, it is a group you can trust for the face and head and neck, right? That's absolutely yeah. true. Right. Now, a lot of those guys will go on and say, you know, we, they, what, what the joke is, we call them ear, nose, throat, breast. and <laughs> breast, breast. Yeah. you know, no, the other T, okay? Yeah. <laughs> they will then march down to the rest of the body. They figure, why not? I can yeah. do that. We, as, as full body and facial plastic surgeons, we don't really like that right. because they're not trained at all in body surgery. Right. So they sometimes will step over the line. But in general, if so you're going to a facial plastic surgeon for your facial plastic surgery, they are well qualified. And then when would you, the final phase is when would you bring in somebody that also has a dental degree or, or oral surgery? Okay, so the, the oral surgeons are allowed, okay, oral surgeons are dentists. 
and who do specialized training in oral maxillofacial surgery, and they are called oral surgeons. They are actually allowed to do now, and that's this is Schwarzenegger's fault. They are actually allowed to do any type of cosmetic surgery now in California. But, but what do you recommend? What do you recommend if somebody is seeing somebody like that? What are they? What can we rely on them for? They are outstanding at what's called maxillofacial surgery. In other words, if you need your chin recessed backwards, if you need the front part, the middle part of your face pulls forward. They are outstanding at jaw surgery and upper and lower jaw surgery and manipulating go. the upper lower palate. Uh, and and most most area. and most guys in Paul Nassif's uh, training would not attempt those Lafort fractures in the jaws. Probably not. Anyway, right? They won't. They're not trained in them now. Right. Interestingly enough, I my kind of I am trained in that very specifically. And some of us who do cranial facial specialization, who are plastic surgeons like me, are very well trained in that. So you ask, so ask your I, doctor if you're getting, if he's a board certified plastic surgeon, and you're going up into the head, are you craniofacially specialized or fellowship or trained some way, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend going to an oral maxillofacial surgeon, an oral surgeon for your nose job. Okay. So, so I'm going to stop you, Terry. Now, Bob, that's now, the landscape. Well, <laughs> that's yeah, the, that's but you the, guys just did a 10 minute doctor thing that I was almost falling asleep. Yeah, but the but public that's the, wants to know who to trust, and that's what you're trying to get to, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, when you're in a powerful position, Terry, to tell the public. You just did. These, no, but in on the TV show, Botch. These are the people I, – I mean, I think you have to call out who's botching the most. Do you understand what I'm saying? Most of the I would bo- say – I would argue most of the botches are just misadventures, bad outcomes from good people. Do right? you think that, Terry, or way, most coming from the non-qualified well, category of, of, of plastics – of uh, whatever it's called, cosmetic surgeons, surgeons mm-hmm. whatever? No, I think Drew's right because most – it's the same reason why most car accidents occur within five miles of your house because you spend most of your time doing driving within five miles of your house. I mean, most plastic surgery, the highest volume are done by the real guys like me. So it's just a question that the, it's, the denominator is higher, right? I mean, so we, if we have a 5 to 7% complication rate and we do the most plastic surgery, the greatest number of complications come out of board-certified plastic surgeons' offices. Okay, right? well, let me ask so, another question then. Let's go to the ultimate botch that all Americans know, Michael Jackson, mm. right? He was allowed to go too far, right? I, I'm, I was thinking about that, Bob, when, you, when, when Terry was talking about body dysmorphia, and I thought to myself, oh, I know what happened. There's a, a psychiatrist and a dermatologist that signed off on it, and the plastic surgeon proceeded. Do you think something like that happened, Terry? Why was he allowed um, to go on so long when, when his family were pleading with him? I know this for a fact. His family were pleading with him to stop, much like Heidi Montag's family was pleading with her to stop. But yet surgeon, the same surgeon did it over and over again. Yes. Right? I, you know, I sort of have a, a little bit of knowledge about that particular situation. I think that was a case where that was before celebrity plastic surgery became a thing and before we really started to expose and understand the psychology behind plastic surgery. And I think that was in the day when if a giant celebrity came into your office and said, I want this done, you want that celebrity in your office. You want to be known for doing that 
celebrity surgery, and you just said yes. Oh. And Re- repeatedly, and that surgeon, yes, right? That 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 surgeon was actually. I'm not saying this is true, okay? But that surgeon was accused of putting Michael Jackson under anesthesia for five or six hours, and actually just moving and not doing anything to him because he didn't and, because he didn't think he needed it. Yeah. That's that's kind of right. honorable. Just, Why are you shrugging up your face? It's illegal to do that. But it's kind of honorable. No, I'm glad he did that, but it's illegal to do that. You can't do that. <laughs> I wish he would have done it but four you know or five more times. Yeah. <laughs> they did. They did this, it while he slept is, at night. This is, how, this is how plastic surgeons justify over-operating on celebrities. And that is because a celebrity walks in having had their seventh or eighth or ninth nose job, or a non-celebrity for that matter. And the plastic surgeon says to himself, Wow, I'm having a slow month. I'm, I want to make sure I can cover my overhead, number one. And number two, they think to themselves, well, if I don't do it, Somebody else the plastic will. surgeon 20 yards away right, from me is right, going right. to do it. So right. can I tell you a funny story, Wes? A very big celebrity is one of my oldest friends, and she had so much plastic surgery that me and all her friends were giving her shit, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's the one that told me about the fat into the butt and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. She's where I get all my info from. Yeah. She now... You know, she's matured and really gone to a lot of therapy. And and now she's becoming more to look like her real self good, again. Good. But you have to get surgery to do it. Oh. It's so crazy. Wow. Right? Because it went so far one way. And if you think really hard, you'll know who it is. She's having repeated layers of, of planned out plastic surgery to return back to her original state. That's 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 <laughs> what Botch does. That's one of the things you guys would do, right? I know. It's so funny, though. That, that- that, we do do that, but I think in that particular situation, it's someone who's just – she hasn't necessarily had a complication or a disaster. She just looks so altered. Yeah, she and was so, so young when she started. She was in her late 20s when she started. It was crazy. Right. Like, what are you doing? Real quick, we're going to talk about Tani Katain because she's going to be on this, sh- this show shortly, and uh, we traded her and stuff. How did Tani do? She, she was operating on today, right? Um, She's going I back actually, to normal state. I, yeah. uh, no, I mean, uh, okay, on Botched, I operated on Tawny about two or three months ago, but she was going to have something unrelated to Botched today. Ah, okay, so it. let me ask you this. Like, Tawny is another example from what I heard this morning, this afternoon, to get back to her normal breast size. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. you must deal with this a lot. Yeah, Tawny has had regrettable plastic surgery. In other words, she had so many procedures done that not only did it kind of botched her, but it left her much bigger than she ever, that she wants to be at this stage of her life. So, but isn't that happening? Isn't that happening to a lot of the breast augmentation women that got it in their early thirties in the 1990s? Isn't that happening? Aren't you getting that a lot where they're reducing back? All the time. That's a very common thing now in plastic surgery. But what the challenge was with Tawny is, you know, obviously I know about Tawny's history. And Tawny represented that level of celebrity who, you know, you want to make sure that that it's safe both physiologically and psychologically to operate on Tawny because of some of the things we, you know, it's been exposed about Tawny and Dr. Drew can tell tell us all about that in the past. So, you know, you don't want to operate on someone and then have something happen like what happened to China. Yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, China the was China. Oh, we, she treat, was our we client treated, too. We treated so her also. We treat all of your clients. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whether there's a drug component to getting all this plastic surgery, we won't even talk about on this episode of yeah, this life. But but right, all but, the people but, I've mentioned that I know that we have in commentary are drug addicts. So that's another well, component to it. Well, the first thing I did when I when when they told me Tawny Katane wants to come in on the season of Botched, I said no way, because I mean I put myself out there when I operate on Botched because these cases are so difficult, and each time you do a surgery on someone, the chances of a complication is higher and higher. And she's had she had had a lot of breast surgery and had a very difficult problem, and number two, you know I put myself out there both you know as a surgeon, but also as a decision maker in that if, if, if I operate on Tawny and she has a successful outcome, but she it sends, it reverts her back to form, former areas of emotional difficulties that she's had, or, you know what I'm talking about yeah. in terms of emotions and drugs yeah. and things like yeah. that. That's a disaster for yeah. me. Sure. Yeah, disaster. The, pain, the pain meds. Let me ask you this. So in the, the first times I ever saw plastic surgery on gal friends of mine was in the eighties, late eighties, right? And it would always look yeah. it would look great when they're just looking at you, when they're totally flat affect. But when they would smile, the cheeks would pop out, right? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you're doing surgery do. on someone who's flat affect, but the things that they were tying together made them smile very peculiarly. I'm seeing that as friends of mine age when they've had plastic surgery – 10, 20 years down the road, it, they get the Botox injections and it makes for a very weird, I don't think it's rever- that hard to reverse it. There's just something about when they smile. When people smile that have had a lot of plastic surgery, that's when they look so weird. But when they're totally like China I was with for years, she, she would just, when she was sitting and talking normally, she looked normal. When she would laugh, it would look like, whoa, what the fuck yeah. just happened? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, do <laughs> I, I agree with that. I think that, that plastic surgery, hopefully, and, and I, I think it really has evolved to the point where there's a much more natural look to it now. Yes, and we're doing a much better job at making people look normal, natural, and unaltered in both the, the dynamic and, you know, resting positions of their face. So I think it's, it's just much better. It's much more subtle. But back in the 80s, it was more is better, and you could almost see the syringe or scalpel hanging off their teeth post-op <laughs> because it was so obvious. You know, we, we used to have this thing. We, we, I remember on the Swan when patients would come out, and sometimes they would look so altered. I'd say, I would say to my, other, my partner on the show, because there were two plastic surgeons, he had such a heavy hand with the scalpel. I'd say to him, "Where'd she park her spaceship?" I mean, <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Well, I was always so, taught that the best plastic surgery is plastic surgery you don't notice. Well, right, of right. Course. And the problem of the breasts—a lot of girls had had breast jobs done that you didn't notice, right? Then all of a sudden, in the in the early nineties, it just went so big; it's like so obvious. I saw a woman on the news the other day where a bear had attacked her dog and then they showed her, they showed her face talking. Then they showed her walking around the garage where the attack happened. I went, Oh my God, (laughs) who put those in her? (laughs) How how is, how is Tawny doing by the way? Everything work out okay? So Tawny has, 
I was very, very worried about Tawny. I actually got in a fight with the producers about her because I said, you're exposing me to unnecessary risk for a, an interesting patient who's a celebrity with a difficult problem, both physically and psychologically. And I was, we got in fights about it. And I said, at first, I refused to even meet with her. And then I met with her. She's great. And She's I could see that she was, she was in a good place, yeah. a really good place. And uh, I'm interested to see what you guys think after you talk to her because she, I said to her, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, you know, you could end my career, Tawny. You have that power over me. If you have a major complication and it's going, they're going to look at one person. If you have a giant complication, it's going to be me. It's going to end everything that I've worked for. And celebrities have that kind of power over a plastic surgeon if it goes badly enough. And she said, I hear you. I totally understand, but let me tell you where I am at in my life. And she started talking about the love for children, therapy that she's had, whether she's had any recent drug use. And I met with her two or three times and I felt very comfortable. And I'll tell you, she turned out to be one of the best patients I've ever had. Oh, truly. Good. Well, Tony's great. And, and that super... started that started 10 years ago on Celebrity Rehab. Yeah. We, we, you we, know what I mean? She yeah. was not the most pro-therapy gal back no, then. No, she was not. <laughs> she <laughs> was not. You just want to plant seeds, Terry. You just want to help people get in the going in the right direction. And she's, uh, we always I'm liked telling her. You. She always super bright. We always loved her, though. She's a great woman. I'm telling you, you helped her beyond words because she's fabulous. Her outcome is beyond satisfactory, even though her problem was very, very difficult. Wow. And uh, she was one of the, again, one of the easiest patients I've had in a long time. And botched cases are the hardest cases on the planet. So she was a joy. I love her. Great. Absolutely adore her. She lives out by you guys, too, I think, still, right? Anaheim Hills, I she think. She did. Yeah. Somewhere out there. Oh, Laguna. She Laguna Hills. There's so many hills. Where yeah. do you live? Newport? <laughs> like, uh, I'm just getting hip to Orange County. We're going to have to have lunch or something. I got to get in with the Orange County crew. Oh, you got to go visit them in their house. Yeah, They'll have yeah, you over yeah. there. Let's bring Bob over, Terry. Come on, next time we come out, right? Bring, absolutely. Bring him, you know, you got to come down. This, we, this Newport Beach, you know, if you can get past the fact that the the, the city rolls up at 9 p.m., yeah, you know, it and it yeah, just it goes to sleep, is a really fantastic place. I went to the boat parade at Christmas. Oh, sure. I was out there. Oh, sure. Comparing boat sizes. All right, we've we got to wrap this thing up, guys. Terry, such a privilege. Thank you, as always. We will get together with you soon, no doubt. It's botched. It's also Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig at Podcast One or probably iTunes. You can get it there, too. Any last... Uh, we didn't even talk about Housewives. Jesus, we got to have part two. All right, we'll have Heather on. We'll okay, Heather good. On, right, Terry? Yeah, you'll have Heather on. But I, it, it was a joy to talk to both of you. Drew, I love you and Thank your wife. You, You're amazing people. Uh, and... So I don't know, uh, you know, botched is on, we got the Kardashians time slot for season four, which is Sunday nights at nine o'clock on E. And Are they I'm off the air? This... Are they off the air? What? Are no, no, but they, they're going to be, when we come, when we're on, they're off. We oh. got their time slot. Oh, Perfect. Good. Well done. So, so Sunday nights at nine on E and it's, it's a season we call it the year of the rear because it's all about the butt of complication. <laughs> I got to get my butt. Done. Oh, how did that I one, my butt how did that true. one go that, that uh, involuted thing you showed me from the cancer surgery? That turned out. Okay. Do I have to watch? The um, I actually 
this one one of the unique things of season four is I actually had some significant complications that I had to fix my own problems this wow. season. Wow. So, so, so it's it's quite. This was a very very scary season because it's a wild west of buttock surgery I mean, this, this year. Sucked so. out of me and put in my butt. Yeah, you're gonna, you you're gonna do lipo. I got a lot of material up front that lipo we can put in the behind. And, the, and Susan, as you know, Susan goes on these binges of botch. She, she'll like hold up in that apartment for in New York for like a week and just watch botch the whole time. It's great. It's great what you're doing. You know, I just, I just. Thank you. I, I want the inside world to heal, but it doesn't seem to heal as easily as the outside world. Well, I think my my statement on that is is both motivate one with the other and back and forth, but don't leave anything out. Don't don't forget about you know. I think I think it's fine to, to help the outside. You, my you, inside's we'll, doing pretty we'll good. Get, I we'll need get, my outside fixed a little bit. Get, we'll go get some lipo, you and I. We'll get our body dysmorphia treated. Hey, you were telling me you were fat before the show. Oh God! All right, guys, Terry. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Bye bye.
get, yeah, I'm gonna get what's mine. 